Welcome to the American Reformer Podcast, hosted by Josh Abatoy and Tymon Klein. Our mission is to promote a vigorous Christian approach to the cultural challenges of our day, rooted in the rich tradition of Protestant social and political thought. Welcome to another American Reformer Spaces. Um, we try to do these weekly, but don't always do them weekly. Um, but especially when we have really good pieces written for us, we like to have authors on and other people to commentate um, in a sort of ad hoc panel style. And uh, this week, Matt Kennedy, who will be on, uh, wrote a great piece for us on the recent uh, cancellation at the Mere Anglicanism Conference of uh, Calvin Robinson, who's joining us as well. And um, we can briefly set the stage with that incident, but as the uh, the title was meant to humorously kind of indicate, and as we discussed before, we're not going to reha- spend all of our time rehashing that or dwell upon it. What I want to do is, is rather facilitate a discussion that uses that incident as a springboard, a representative uh, kind of springboard to talk about uh, Anglicanism in general, um, both in overseas and in America, and the ACNA in particular, and kind of what this, uh, what recent events say about its trajectory, its uh, current challenges, so on and so forth. So I'm going to allow our uh, rather large panel to kind of take it wherever they want to as the spirit leads. Uh, but first, I want to welcome Calvin on for joining us. Oops, thank you and, very much. Um, well, pleasure to be here. Yes, and and I thought Matt wrote a great uh, kind of piece, you know, talking about uh, the conference itself, introducing a lot of our listeners to and readers to um, the ACNA in general, some of its history, and then what's kind of gone down at mere Anglicanism, the divide uh, within the ACNA over women's ordination. Um, And so I think he set the stage well, and of course, people should go read on your Substack your own statements about the incident. But if you want to, for the uninitiated, just briefly give us you know, what you'd, you'd want to say about what kind of went down at mere Anglicanism, and uh, and then we can move on from there uh, once once we've had sort of set the table here. Sorry, was that directed at Matt or myself? Yeah, uh, that, that was at you, actually. Okay, <laughs> no worries, sorry. Yeah, yes, Matt uh, has now joined us, though, so <laughs> he, will, he can go after you. We'll, have, we'll go Calvin, then Matt, and then uh, Bethel also wrote a very good piece at World, I should say, so she can go third. Okay, I'll, I'll give my perspective on this, but if you're going to cancel me afterwards, let me know in advance. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no cancellations here. <laughs> Thank no you. Cancellations. Um, I mean, it's all a bit silly now, isn't it, really? Uh, I get invited to speak on critical theory. Very clearly, uh, the invitation said critical theory. Um, and so I start my speech saying, you know, it would be very obvious for me to talk about critical race theory, gender theory, queer theory. But I'd rather get to the root cause of the critical theories and and speak about why they're antithetical to the gospel. And I genuinely believe that feminism is is the arm of entryism that the rest of the critical theories brute force their way in through, because we, even as conservatives, concede too much ground in terms of feminism. And um, I, I wrote that one of the main ways we can see this in the church is through women's ordinations, because it's quite clearly counter scriptural. Uh, we know that there are differences between men and women. Uh, we know that 
women can no longer become priests as men can become pregnant or become mothers. Like they are two distinct vocations, two very important vocations, vital to the advancing of the kingdom, but not the same. And men and women are not interchangeable. Um, but I think the mistake I made was uh, quoting from scriptures at a Christian event, to be honest with you. Um, it seems to me that, <laughs> you know, you know, everyone's, well, most, most of the organizers seemed fine after it, afterwards on the Friday after I spoke. Jeff made a quip on stage. We were fine in the green room afterwards. I had a chat with the archbishop afterwards. We were all very on good terms. I wake up early on Saturday. I've got an email at 5.30 a.m. from someone called Janet Eccles, who I have no idea who she was at the time, interrogating me. Did Jeff Miller know what you were going to say? Did he know what you were going to do? Did you talk to him before your talk? Did you tell him which direction you were going to take it in? It's like, I don't know if you've ever been to a talk before, but that's not how it works. Um, you you get, get given a brief and then you get up and speak. Um, so no, I didn't um, give my homework in to get marked. Um, and so that was first thing Saturday morning. Then later I go into, uh, well, as soon as I get up, I go to a, a coffee bar and have a, 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 a chat with a few people there. And I get accosted by a lady called Joy Hunter, who I, lady, who I later find out is uh, Bishop Chip's head of comms. This lady was incredibly hostile, um, really nasty, really personal. I was so thankful that I had a witness there with me. But it, it became clear to me at this point that uh, there were certain feminists in the audience that had taken umbrage to what I had to say didn't like it at all and uh then later I, I walk back to the um conference and i go backstage and i get pointed at by jeff miller who had, until this point i had been very friendly with um and he you know points at me and says i need to see you in the in the green room um while amy is talking please i'm like oh, okay sure i don't know what this is about but it sounds very ominous and it, uh, yeah i get i get told off essentially for bringing up women's ordinations um at at a, an event where everyone has to sign up to uh dual integrities but i take issue with that because i'm not a member of the diocese i'm not a member of the the local parish church i'm not even a member of the denom denomination i do not subscribe to dual integrities anyone that knows me or knows my work knows my theology will know that i do not subscribe to dual integrities and so to to expect me to 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 subscribe to that without clearing it with me or having a conversation with me i find quite strange but the reason i take umbrage with dual integrities is because it's much like the church of england's mutual flourishing it's a lie so traditionalist views are seen as harmful to the liberals these women priests and, and these people that were coming for me essentially uh feel victimized they feel like i am the enemy i am oppressing them they are a minority group and they need to be protected and we see this by Todd Hunter's response and, and Chad's, uh, Bishop Chad's response that the traditional church teaching, no, the doctrine itself is offensive and it needs to be, and these women need to be protected from it. That there just exemplifies exactly what I was talking about and that we've conceded too much ground to feminism. Uh, and I, I thank them for making my point for me. Uh, it's, it's a great shame. And there was just a massive lack of, 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 well, gospel charity, really, you know, John Dixon, who I'd never met before in my life. I understand he's canonically resident with Bishop Chip, and he was the attack dog on Twitter, really gunning for me. Joy Hunter is uh, the head of comms, as I mentioned. She courted me. Janet Eccles, uh, an another one of Bishop Chip's priests. Uh, so, you know, they all kind of clubbed together, I, essentially, and I, I assume they put pressure on the bishop and or on Jeff Miller 
who of course is also in Bishop Chip's diocese, uh, to essentially cancel me from the rest of the event. And I, I think it's actually, well, actually, I find it quite disgusting to cancel anyone for for speaking orthodoxy, even if you disagree with it. You know, if if you want to refute. Uh, my interpretation of the scriptures, then let's hear yours. But this is the problem. They don't have an argument. They have feelings. And that does, that just doesn't work. That's not rooted in truth, goodness or beauty. It's just rooted in woke critical theories. And this is exactly what I was speaking about. So it, it's just to, to summarize, they might have a chapter to speak on critical theories, not realizing that they, they were compromised by critical theories themselves. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah. Very, very brief. Hey, too. this is just um, to... sorry. Uh, sorry to jump in, but this is uh, I, this is Constantine. So I actually, um, uh, Calvin and Bethel and I actually like had like a, a chat after this cancellation, um, and I, I just want to reiterate what Calvin just said. Um, I, I actually helped put on the Mirror Anglicanism Conference. I'm a, I am a member of the parish and, um, and the diocese in question. And I just want to reiterate what Calvin just said, because he actually wasn't even just um, in the prompt, wasn't just asked to speak about critical race theory. It was critical theory and its origins. And um, that's exactly what Calvin right, did. Right. If they wanted to, um, and they like the the organizers of, I mean, the the director of the event did not ask me, even though I actually, I literally, I literally own the domain mereanglicanism.org, um, and I, you know, I have an email address and all that kind of stuff, and so it's it's really really irritating to me personally that this happened to Calvin because he very clearly was asked to speak about critical theory and its origins as he saw them. Um, and so the, the fact that he wanted to tie this to feminism and women's ordination and, and that kind of stuff, you can disagree with him all you want, but the fact that he was disinvited is a disgrace, in my opinion. So I just wanted to, to say that right. kind of publicly, right. Calvin, so. No, that's... Thank no, that's helpful and well, that. well taken. Um, and I can just say, as a, as an outsider, I mean, the obviously, it, you know, if I had uh, decided to go to an Anglican conference, which, which is a good Presbyterian, I probably wouldn't. But it, but if I had, I mean, I would have gone to hear Calvin um, because he's, it, you know, other than you find people here, the only the only person doing anything interesting, in my opinion, in the Anglican space that I pay attention to. And so, no doubt, it was a draw. And um, I read the the prompt as well as Calvin presented it from the emails in his in his piece, and it did su seem sufficiently broad to include uh, what he went on to to talk about, and again presented you know an interesting thesis. And of, of course, as you said, Constantine, you're free to agree. I of course take issue as as Matt did in his piece with with Calvin's view of Reformation history. That's totally fine, but at least it's interesting. And it seemed to me, based on what my limited knowledge of mere Anglicanism, to fit. Um, the ethos, or at least the stated ethos of the conference, which is to, you know, be sort of probing and, and even provocative um, intellectually and, and actually try to talk about some things. So it, it does seem to be a compromise, even a betrayal of maybe what some people thought they were participating in at the conference. Um, but I did just want to tee up also before we leave the, the sort of preliminary issue here that, that um, gives us the occasion to talk about all this. Um, has there is there any comments worth mentioning on the sort of aftermath? I mean, I saw several things online that seemed to be that the conference was 
doubling down on its position um, and then maybe some additional fallout. Uh, oh, yeah. is, is that worth mentioning also? Yeah, if I, thank you. If I could just say, firstly, I am wrong often, quite often I'm wrong. Uh, I'm happy to be corrected charitably and in good faith. And I think, you know, people will disagree with me and sometimes I'll be right, sometimes I'll be wrong. And quite, quite a lot of people in this chat disagree with me on the latter part of my speech, which I'm happy to go into later if, if we like. But the, the, po the point that I wanted to make is that there wasn't a charitable discussion or disagreement. There was a lot of dishonesty and it's the injustice of that dishonesty that I want to kind of highlight because Jeff Miller, the director, started saying, well, we invited you to speak on critical race theory. Now, I have the receipts, as I'm sure you've all seen. I was invited to speak on critical theories. Uh, critical race theory is one part of critical theory. And if I had been invited to only speak on that explicit part, I would have declined because I would have seen that as a soft form of racism. I'm not a brown face to be invited to speak on race. I find that terrible. Um, and, and going along the lines of dishonesty, in Bishop Chad's statement, he starts off by saying it's not about women's orders. It's because Calvin went off topic and then spends the whole of the letter talking about women's orders. It's just both of them are being incredibly dishonest. It, I rocked the boat by bringing up women's orders. We can all see that. Um, and I just wish they would say, look, Calvin, you, you mentioned a topic that's a, a taboo in our diocese or, you know, or they could have gone on stage and said, Calvin is an old Catholic and or Anglo-Catholic. His beliefs differ from many in this audience. You know, they could have given a caveat or they could have even said for the panel discussion, instead of cancelling me, Calvin, please stick to this topic. We don't want to get back into women's orders because of X, Y, and Z. You know, we, we could have had any of those conversations, but we didn't. And in fact, they just chose to disinvite me. And I really want to um, kind of double down on that and say, because it was, it was dishonesty and it was injustice. And the reason I believe that is because they didn't just disinvite me from mere Anglicanism. Jeff Miller tried to disinvite me from the event I was going to after Mary Anglicanism. I was going to Somerton to preach, and he tr attempted to cancel that too, and, which I find vindictive. Um, and I'm currently trying to be gracious and, and let the bishop and, and Jeff Miller come to um, have a conversation with ACNA before I release the tape. So I've, I've postponed releasing the tape, but if, if we can't come to an amicable um reasonable uh, arrangement i will release the full footage for everyone to make their own minds up because i just i just find the whole thing um uncharitable vindictive unchristian and bringing a shame on the entire not just the conference but the church and we're it's, we're supposed to be promoting unity in the church big c and this does the opposite um but i will say on a positive side a lot of priests and bishops actually have been in touch to show support and i'm very very thankful to uh, i am a member of forward in faith north america and i'm very thankful to bishop eric Meniz for putting out that that strong statement um because i think we we have to stand firm in our orthodoxy and i think he did it in a way that was very gracious and and you know didn't uh wasn't too harsh on his on his fellow bishops but said what needed to be said so i'm thankful for that yeah i i will say also like again i i actually go to the the parish in question so i'm i'm under the authority of both chip and jeff and i will say like i appreciate calvin you kind of like wanting to be judicious about it because they're both i i know them both they're both godly men i think this was a terrible decision and i would have counseled against it had they asked me um but i just want to say like yeah i mean let's let's try like let's maybe let's not dwell on it any longer but um but yeah i just wanted to say that like i they're they're both godly men it was a bad decision i'll just leave it there 
When, and, and to be clear, I mean, again, from my, my reading of the scenario and Calvin's response, I didn't see, you know, any, any questioning of their, their sort of spiritual integrity, but this is a matter of intellectual yes. integrity and the sort of stated purpose of uh, the conference, uh, the the confines of the inv- invitation to Calvin, which, you know, is a, we'll turn to Matt here in a second, but I, I think Matt rightly pointed out in his piece that, um, you know, people going off topic, let's even uh, grant arguendo that, that that's what Calvin did. This happens all the time in right. conferences. This is just the name of the game. And, you know, what you do is you don't invite him back if he was just terrible, you know, and he went totally off topic and no one understood what he was saying. Um, but this this seemed to just be totally within the wheelhouse um, of, of the, you know, the topic, the the theme as it, as it was, um, at least in the part Calvin participated in. So it just seems to be a situation of intellectual uh, confusion and dishonesty. Um, you know, I don't think we have to, we have to make any accusations further than that. That's enough of an indictment on the, on the conference. Well, Bethel and I were talking about this earlier, whenever she was here covering the conference and maybe Bethel, you can jump in, but um, if they had, like if if Amy or Ewing or whoever got up there or Rebecca McLaughlin got up there and started saying, listen, you know, you should um, you should ordain women. This is a travesty that we're not doing this and et cetera, et cetera. Had someone done that, even if you thought it was off topic in the speech, there is a near zero percent chance that they would have been disinvited from the panel, like almost none. So it was this specific position and this specific topic that um, that was the reason for it. And that's yeah. unfortunate. I, I agree with that. I was trying to make that point to somebody on Twitter yesterday, and he was saying, well, no, the, the real problem was at, like that Calvin's tone at the, because he was saying that um, that women's orders are an affront to the church. Uh, or that he said this is a cancer in the body, and this language is so demeaning. Like the women there, they felt demeaned, um, and so that was the the real issue. Uh, and so then he was telling me, well, the the true analogy would be if a woman had got up and described conservative men as a cancer in the body or something. It, I don't know. It was it wasn't very convincing, and I I completely agree with Trip. There is no no way that a pro W O lady would have been canceled at, at most she might have gotten a little bit of a slap on the wrist um but they they would never have disinvited her from the panel are you kidding me like just just no <laughs> would have right and so I, I guess maybe you know maybe let's move on from what happened at the conference but why do we think that is like why is it that this is such a sacrosanct issue within acna like specifically, but then just within the church, why is this such a sacrosanct issue that you can't disagree on it without Constantine? I think that's that's a good a good prompt. If someone also just to orient the audience, uh, Matt, you can take this if you want. Just dual integrities has already been uh, referenced. I think it's somewhat self explanatory, but just orient everybody to to what kind of is going on there. Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, loud and clear. Uh, this is Matt. Um, yeah, that this this issue has been the most divisive issue in the ACNA since the beginning. The ACNA was formed in two thousand and nine, mostly from people and congregations who are coming out of the Episcopal Church. And uh, if you know anything about the Episcopal Church in the late nineties, in the early two uh, thousands, uh, it's a it's a hodgepodge. You have 
charismatics, you've got Anglo Catholics, you've got evangelicals, and you've got the far left, which is the majority. So, um, because of the, the, the absolute horror of of the of the of the sexuality heresy that the Episcopal Church fell into, um, there was this kind of coalition formed between uh, groups that normally don't have a lot to do with each other, like evangelicals and Anglo Catholics, or um, uh, pro WO people and people who are very much against it. Um, and, and, and yet, because we were all against what was going on with the sexuality de debate um, in the Episcopal Church, that that coalition became ultimately the ACNA. Um, and and then, then the question became, how are we going to make this work? Because if you if you're a, if you're a, an Anglo Catholic who who sincerely takes the Anglo Catholic view of the sacraments, uh, you recognize uh, sacramental validity is a is a is a question of of uh, salvation. And 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 you cannot receive a sacrament can't be validly given by a, a female uh, who is ordained. So so you you automatically have one sec section of the church that can't take communion from the other and won't recognize the other's orders. And and uh, and you already have this kind of division that in most in most bodies would be recognized as an irresolvable kind of division. You wouldn't have one church if if you if you have that kind of division within normal normal denominations but it's it's there in the ACNA. um and so and so the the i was on the constitutional committee i'm sorry i, I was part of this i would have probably acted differently now that i know how it's unfolded than i did then but the decision was made why don't we why don't we um set it up so the province uh the ACNA is a province will not allow female bishops to be elected in any diocese, but we can't, we'll say we can't make any rules for individual dioceses. We'll just let the diocese decide for themselves. And, um, and so that's what happened. You have some dioceses that are very strongly pro women's ordination, some that are very strongly against it, some, uh, many somewhere in between. Um, but, but the, 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 that kind of separation hasn't resulted in more peace or, a, a kind of decision to get along. In fact, it, the, this tension has gotten worse and worse and worse every um, every year. And uh, you know, I think someone was mentioning Bethel. Maybe, it was, maybe this is you. You were saying, you know, if, if a woman had gotten up and said, "Well, all conservative males are are heretics or whatever," um, then the story would be different. Would would have been different. I agree with that. But that is that is kind of where the the, the strong egalitarians are in the ACNA right now. They 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 do believe that that just holding um, a complementarian view or an anti women's ordination view is is tantamount to misogyny. Um, you kind of saw that I think in Bishop Hunter's letter today that that uh, the the women he 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 felt were going to be so wounded and so abused by <laughs> by what Calvin said they needed to be comforted and and praised and 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 boosted because because he had hurt them by expressing <laughs> by expressing his views, um, and you know likewise on the other side of the, on the other side of course that the, the 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 position that women can't stand in the office of a priest has been consistent all along. So what Calvin did, I think, when he <laughs> when he when he gave his his talk, is he just it is through a, a a bomb right in the middle of the of the place, and I, I don't think he I don't I don't think. I don't want to get back into whether it was right or wrong to invite him or like that, but, but I don't, I don't think he was wrong in any way to do that. I think he, I think Calvin has always held those views and, 
And he was just coming to mere Anglicanism to express what he's always expressed. And it just happened to be um, in a political situation that was that was ready to boil over with tension. Can I add a right? And and I think, yeah, go ahead. um, I just want to jump in with a, a little history note. So I grew up in the Anglo-Catholic Church or the continuing Anglican tradition. So this is all really interesting for me to observe, speaking as somebody who's been an Anglican for longer than the ACNA has existed. Um, I mean, I I was baptized at age five uh, in 1998. And if you look up the history of continuing Anglicanism, uh, I mean, it, it was formed in the 70s precisely over this issue. It was it was a spinoff from the main line um, because of, of women's ordination. So it's really fascinating and a little sad to me to be watching all of this drama now unfolding uh, because it's like deja vu all over again. It's this just keeps coming up over and over again. And like every time it does, like schism is just inevitable. You're, you're I, you know, I don't see I don't see how the center can hold. Um, and so I think, you know, Calvin is just, I really, I don't think that Calvin, this isn't about Calvin. He, he, he just kind of pointed to the elephant in the room. Uh, and I, I think that the schism is going to happen regardless. And I, I'm sad to say that, um, you know, unity is good, but sometimes division is necessary. And that was true in the seventies and it's going to be true now. Uh, yeah, I, rem- I recall the uh, the Machen comment, right? That it would have been it was a tragic. Well, well, Calvin, you might not like this, but it was tragic that uh, Luther and Zwingli split. But it would have been it would have been worse if they hadn't, because it means it would they wouldn't have taken it seriously. Um, so sometimes schism is necessary. But Jack, you had a comment as well, um, based on what Bethel and Matt were yep. saying, and then we'll go to uh, Joe Rigney. I was getting uncomfortable with all the Anglicans, so I added a non-Anglican. Um, but he has a, a comment as well after Jack. Great. Uh, first, I have a quick question for Matt, and then I have a comment. Matt, when you were on the Constitutional uh, Committee uh, at the at, at what 2010, at this point, was the were the other continuing Anglican bodies already had they had they already announced that they were not going to join fellowship with the ACNA? That while we're while we were writing the Constitution we were still in negotiations trying to get some of them to join in. Right. Um, because and, it, yeah. And they, they, they said no, right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and and some others made this point as well, that if the continuing bodies, namely the Anglican province of America, the Anglican Catholic Church, the Anglican Church of America, and Diocese of the Holy Cross and whatnot, had joined the REC as the kind of the basis for creating the ACNA, the, the pre-existing communities, then women's ordination wouldn't be a problem anymore um, because of just the, the center of gravity would be so far off where I ended up being. Can you speak to that, Matt? Do you think that's, that's a... I think it's probably a fair comment. I think, uh, but then I, I I think we would, I think you're right. I think some of the other, some of the other dioceses may not even even join the, the more, the more militantly pro women's ordination may not even. Yeah. In. yeah. Um, so I think it's a, that's a fair, that's a fair comment. Um, I would say, I mean, going back to what Bell, Bethel was saying about um, about the need for some kind of division, I would say I think I I still think the numbers are on on the side of the of the anti women's ordination 
Africa group. So I think, and I think Calvin even mentioned this earlier in one of his interviews that it, the ACNA is still salvageable. Um, and, and I, I, I think it's, it's going to take a lot of work. It would take a, a constitutional uh, uh, amendment to make it so that um, the, the church could actually come to a provincial wide ruling on the issue. Um, but I, I think it's worth the fight, and and I hope I, I hope that this this doesn't this doesn't uh, preclude or this doesn't uh, bring about an exodus of of Orthodox people because I think we are on the edge of some kind of um, a possibility of victory anyway. Yeah. So, can I do my yeah. one more comment? Time in before we move to the Very Presbyterians well. on or Fine. whatever Joe Rainey. Um, <laughs> So one of one of the major proposals put forth by a number of the bishops in the ACNA in their meetings that ultimately not decided against was having two separate archdioceses. In other words, one archdiocese throw it into a minimum that doesn't, which was sort of just me formalizing the the, uh, the the problem we already have, but kind of saying, don't worry, diocese of Fort Worth, uh, other England Catholic dioceses, you will never have to see a woman again. Which I'm not sure how they were planning on doing that with provincial assemblies and whatnot. Ultimately decided against. And where we're at right now in the ACNA or broadly is that uh, we're kind of in the middle of a transition from the first gen bishops to the second gen bishops. The guys have pulled us out of the Episcopal Church or Africa or wherever we were and into this and then moving to a whole new generation. That, that shift's going to be complete in the next five or seven years, at which point this conversation is going to quote unquote reopen. In that it's a whole new generation of people that um, some of whom had Episcopal experience, uh, Episcopal Church experience before, but many of whom, most if not their entire careers, from the ACNA. Um, one other thing I uh, hit on is the, the the steps that it would take to get rid of women's ordination, if you are, for those that are so inclined, whoever that would be. Um, and and there's a, a part of it's a shifting of plausibility structures because right now you have you run the whole gambit, as Matt Kennedy said. With some churches ordaining women to be uh, to be pre to be rectors, some I think allow women to be priests but not be rectors. Other dioceses do not let women be priests at all, but be deacons. And then the Reformed Episcopal Church women can be deaconesses but not deacons. Um, and and but even in church many dioceses where women can be deacons, they're still allowed to preach. So even in diocese, so which is more of an evangelical concern perhaps in the Anglo-Catholic. But there's kind of this, there's a whole second set of issues here, um, which is preaching, which is the thing that St. Paul most immediately hits on um, in, in, in 1 Corinthians. So what we're having the to shift the plausibility structure, the first thing that needs to happen is um, have more deaconesses. So uh, some diocese were getting women to the diaconate. Sorry, you hear my daughter in the background. Some women. Uh, it's okay. We're, we're a pronatal right, space. Exactly. Here, so. um, the first thing that's going to need to happen is churches that have ch congregations that do not support women's ordination, but uh, to the priesthood, but due to the diaconate, need to really reconsider that and potentially start uh, launching trial diaconate, uh, de deaconesses. So uh, Holy Church of Holy Cross in Crozet, which is um, in a not very soft complementarian diocese, um, has just begun creating, got permission from the bishop to create a deaconess system. And I think if that kind of thing goes well and they show the alternative, that would go a long way uh, towards placating what we might call the moderates or the pietists. Um, and while there will always be a fringe against it, you kind of show this is the more biblical way forward, a true, a true alternative. 
Because as long as you have women who are deacons who are reading the gospel, giving a closing blessing, and preaching on occasion, it's going to be hard for most congregants to tell, and clericals, to tell the difference between an ordained woman or a not ordained woman. Um, so I think that's that's kind of the big thing that's coming. And even in dioceses where, last thing I'll say is even in dioceses where women are, um, can be ordained, many churches don't uh, ordain women. That, that includes my own parish. I'm in an egalitarian diocese, um, but there's only three or four, maybe five female rectors in our 40 church diocese. Um, and our parish doesn't ordain or support the ordination of women. So in places like where we are, my church and others need to take the step of kind of renegotiating our relationship to female deacons, I think. I've been recently convinced of this. It's not something I used to hold too very strongly. But um, anyway, that's a total information dump, but that, that might be helpful in our conversation. Yeah, no, that's that's good, Jack. Thank you. Um, and, and then th there's a few things you raised there that we can circle back to, and I'll uh, we'll go Joe, and then uh, Jesse has his hand up, and we'll go back to Calvin. I have another question for him, more broadly speaking, and then we'll go to Constantine after that. Someone remind me of the order if I mess it up, but Joe, go ahead. All right, there we go. Uh, yeah, so I'm um, sorry to crash the party, guys, um, but my my sort of interest in the in the event was the way that it was a good occasion to kind of reflect on the larger sort of feminist infiltration more broadly in the in the church because i think whether it's dealing with the sort of the instability of dual integrities like acna is but you're you see the same dynamics at play in the southern baptists with their looming fight over female pastors and the, and the amendments to the constitution there i think in the pca you've got that sort of uh lurking principle of a woman can do anything an unordained man can do uh which i think is something that jack is sort of speaking to with the way that deaconesses sounds like work in in your in your congregations or even just like the more broad principle of whatever that pressure is in even non-denominational churches to sort of get more women up front um not maybe to preach at first but make announcements read scripture that sort of thing uh, make sure that women are quote in the in the room where it happens um, like Aaron Burr. And uh, so so I think that cluster of issues, this what happened in in uh, Carolina sort of um, accented that like this is a common thing. and and at one level, there's sort of the the point that uh, Calvin made in his talk, which was that basically essentially like the empathetic sex is ill suited to the ministerial office um, because of the the you know, sort of essential guardianship task, involved in in the office um the guarding of doctrine and worship that's the fundamental the thing that you know on top of the administ administrative stuff that a, that a pastor may do or a minister may do a priest may do whatever you call them or the sort of visiting of the sick and the care sort of stuff that may may be involved all of those are important but in principle those sort of things can be done by laymen um and therefore men and women but that sort of guarding of the doctrine and, wor and worship of the church is something that's sort of um it's essential to the to the priestly office, whatever you call that priestly office. Sort of like the the Levites in the Old Testament got their you know called the the ministry because they were willing to slay their brethren over idolatry, or uh, or Phineas, you know, uh, when when he spears the the husband and wife right after the first pride parade, um, he you know God says, man, that guy's going to make a great priest, and so that's that sort of zeal for God's holiness, for the truth, for worship is sort of the fundamental thing and the empathetic sex is ill-suited to it. But I think the, the, the thing I'd wanted to add, um, because that's more or less, I think, 
some of what uh, uh, Calvin was saying in his talk. The thing I wanted to add is the way that um, what you might call female agitation or female displeasure or unhappiness affects men once you've opened the door, which the ACNA has. And this is what the reaction, you know, what happened in the aftermath of the talk demonstrates. It's here's agitation, here's some angry emails, some frustration, I've been hurt. Um, and quite frankly, a lot of faithful men don't know how to deal with that. And so, you know, good shepherds are willing to fight wolves, but but even faithful men struggle to resist she-wolves or to resist um, compromised female sheep, you know, what Paul calls the weak women uh, who are captured by false teachers in 2 Timothy. And so it's that agitation of once, you, once you've got, um, because, because male groups tend to orient to realities differently than female groups, idea-focused, willing to mix it up, willing to have the fight, not make it personal, but just really focus on the ideas, whereas female groups don't, once you've mixed them, the, the tendency is to adopt female norms as the sort of um, governing norms for the mixed group, which is what the ACNA now effect it is because of the dual practice, the dual integrities. And so that means that there's an asymmetry in sort of how, how um, battles are carried out. It's not open direct speech, not open direct discourse about what's the, what does the Bible teach? What is the, what's the truth of the matter? What's wise and good in the long run. But now we're really taking into account the feelings of those who are present. And especially because men are trained from a young age, good men are, to not hit girls, to treat them differently than the boys, um, that as Lewis taught us, battles are ugly when women fight. There's a kind that it, it's inevitably going to lurch left for, for those reasons. Um, and so I just think that's, there's a, that's a dynamic that for all of the places, whatever denomination you're dealing with, Baptist, Anglican, Presbyterian, or otherwise, um, that's present and the pressure is there. And the, the key sort of um, thing that, that you have to figure out is how do you deal with it when it's already in? So for those it's where, where it's not in, make sure it doesn't get in, right? Start building the walls better. Um, but where it already is, it's a willingness to sort of um, engage in clear, unambiguous speech. Like this is why I was really um, encouraged, quite frankly, by Calvin's talk because it was, hey, I'm going to name the elephant in the room. I'm not going to pull punches. I'm going to say it directly. I'm going to say it cheerfully, and I'm willing to take the lumps. That sort of thing is what I think a lot of churches are going to, they're going to have to do that in order to weather um, the, the feminist cancer. So that's, that's, I just wanted to jump in. I've got a little article, time and I've been working it up uh, that'll hopefully come out tomorrow that's kind of unpacks that a little bit more uh, in detail. But, but I think that this really is an occasion to sort of see the, the broader implications for, for the church as a whole. Excellent. Thanks, Joe. I mean, what I hear you saying is all women are a cancer. So just let the record state. That's what, that's what Joe said. Um, Appreciate that. Yeah. I love it when you restate my positions exactly yeah, how I, I would be helpful. It. I try to be helpful as a magnanimous editor. Um, no, thanks, Joe. That was, that was very good. Um, and everybody look for that piece tomorrow. It's, it's excellent. Um, I think Jesse had his hand up next yep. um, to, to comment on some of the things said. Yep. Can you guys hear me? All right. I can hear you. Great. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I have a few things I'd like to kind of comment on or sort of, you know, on this issue of women's ordination in the ACNA. Um, a lot of conversations have been surrounding, or at least publicly, people have been thinking about how do we do this as an institution, right? There's this Reconquista movement for the Episcopal Church. Um, and apparently, you know, Calvin is pretty confident that the ACNA can pull it off. 
I'm really curious to know what that would have to look like. Can we do a Seminex the way the LCMS did? Um, I mean, obviously, the Missouri Synod did not have uh, women's ordination baked in or whatever the revisions at the time were. Um, I understand the Latvian Lutherans were able to reject women's ordination um, recently. So that's hopeful. You know, I, I, I'd like to know that there are smart people in the ACNA who are Orthodox, who are sort of working on like, what would this look like? How do you, how do you do this in an institution? I mean, um, I've heard the line of, well, we outnumber the women's ordination people. And, you know, when I first came into the ACNA, like 12 years ago, my bishop said, well, we'll just win a war of attrition. And what I think has happened is that our side has been kind of counting on that. And the other side has been pretty darn active. Um, so I'd like to, you know, hear people thinking or just know that there are people thinking about, you know, what does this look like from a canon law perspective? What needs to take place, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, there's this situation that was really, I think, profoundly brought up by Calvin's talk, where apparently we have dual integrities, and yet the shared spaces where we're supposed to sort of come and be able to rub elbows or whatever, are all ceded to the women's ordination side. And I would say this includes the uh, provincial council. I mean, I was telling some friends earlier, I don't take, I don't want to bring my kids to churches where they're going to see a lady in clericals. And it's per, for pretty, pretty similar reasons that I don't want them to see like a commercial of two dads kissing or things along those lines. I think it's, it sends a bad message, you know, psychologically and spiritually. And so if, if this is really a dual integrities, then how come where we're all supposed to meet and come to agreement, there's a bunch of ladies and clericals. I mean, I think that's something that has been boiling up under the surface that is not talked about much. And I think that frankly, maybe, you know, uh, Joe Rigney's point that like guys are trained to be gentlemen about these things is uh, at play here as well. They're like, well, our guys just don't want to cause a fuss or what have you. Um, and, and then I just think, you know, as far as the consequences of what women's ordination or dual integrities supposedly um, means as a province, it, it really means that you have this utterly disunified theology, which, you know, granted, probably the ACNA, not probably, certainly inherited from the Church of England and sort of this Anglican tradition of being probably uh, a little too broad of an umbrella, you might say. Um, but how can we have a, how can the ACNA have a prophetic voice for the culture when we can't address the sort of incoherence of, at a fundamental theological level of what it means to ordain somebody, what it means to be ordained, what it means to be a proper minister of the word and sacrament, right? Without solving this, ACNA is just a, uh, it's, uh, it's, 
I don't know, a Band-Aid over a solution rather than a proper church that has legs that can really speak prophetically to the culture, in my uh, humble opinion. I agree. I, I made this point in my, my world piece as well. That like, okay, back to the theme of the conference. This is about speaking the truth in love. This is about uh, confronting the new morality. Okay, like this sounds pretty pretty based, but it's it's like you you get there and you realize this is like the absolute uh, least competent um, atmosphere, uh, you know, for for this for fruitful discussion to that end to actually take place. Like there isn't really anything very prophetic going on here. This is very safe. This is very samey. Um, you know, we're we're not even allowed to to have difficult conversations within our own house. So there's no way that, that we can go out there and, and speak prophetically to the world. And I'm sad about that because I'm a young Anglican. I, I would like to think that I have a future in Anglicanism in America. Um, but that's not, that's not what I saw when I got there. And I also pointed out that the, there was, this is a zero sum game. <laughs> I think that's also what you're saying, Jesse. It's, it's zero sum whatever decision the organizers made, somebody was going to get offended. That just was not avoidable. So, you know, I, the delusion that there's a third way where nobody gets offended was just completely shattered here, I think. Yeah, so uh, just to jump in um, as well and, and dovetail on that. So I think that one of the issues that conservatives face, just in general, but also within the church is, this idea of cardinal versus ordinal values and the fact is is that this particular value of egalitarianism is much more important just demonstrated to be much more important to the left of the church than it is to conservatives we're much more interested in like kind of ecumenical unity than we are in holding the line and this is true in politics i think but it's also true within the church and so i think that's one of the issues is that they they just care more about these issues than we do um and that's unfortunate because i think it's wrong i did want to get into also uh calvin's like one of calvin's key points and so i wanted to just like I, I, i'm curious to see whether or not i can accurately um recount in a way that calvin would agree with it what of his key points and so maybe calvin you can respond to it um but one of his key points was um by denying the ontological reality of male and female by getting rid of this and by trading kind of our like by just kind of jettisoning it um we end up um what we end up with is nothing other than just a power play because if there's you know if, if there's no real distinction between male and female then the only reason that there would be like a distinction between male and female um there's only the, the only reason there would be like a distinction between male priesthood and female priesthood or anything else like that is that there is power which is fundamentally like kind of a Marxist perspective. And that's where we get into 
like critical theory, where we get into um, um, all these other things that you were asked to speak about. And so by jettisoning the ontological reality of God's creation, you you let all of these other things enter into the church. And so I'm just I'm I'm just want to make sure that Calvin that I'm I'm accurately, you know, kind of um understanding your point because I think it's an it's an interesting and in, you know, like intellectual point that I think needs maybe um some more discussion. It's uh and that wasn't actually uh done during the conference um after your talk. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are there. Yeah, I think that's very well summarized. It's ontological as well as anthropological. And if we forget those points, it just becomes a power dynamic and then we fall into the trap of Marxism. But I think we're already there. Yeah. Mm. And not only so that it's it's a you know a power play, but and really we're also talking about the uh, the definition of reality as being fundamentally positivist, right? I mean, and even even many non-Anglican evangelicals kind of operate this way. The the uh, you know through through lazy sort of proof test texting uh, t yeah texting the you know the answer to the question of ordination as distinguished between male and female is simply that the the scripture says so and and then usually the maneuver is to figure out how you can um, sort of skirt around that and and um, you know get as close to the line as possible because there's no broader reality that undergirds the text. Um, that's encoded in creation that that you have to respect. It's simply the bare um, sort of parameters set up by the text, and you get into all sorts of hermeneutical gymnastics, uh, which I, which I think is is a microcosm or at least an analog to much of what's going on in the rest of culture uh, at the moment with with similar discussions. So, Cal Calvin, I mean, does it? Do you have any other comments on that? I know you have a a, a hard stop coming up, so I want to make sure you get in uh, a few more words, whatever you have. Thank you. Not on that, but I do want to clarify that I do love the ACNA. I think the reason I love the ACNA is because I love Gafcon, and I think Gafcon is the future for Anglicanism all around the world. If if Anglicanism is going to survive, it will be through Gafcon. It will be through the Orthodox coming together and calling ourselves to repent, but also calling the, the heretics to repent, as we saw with Gafcon last year, calling the Church of England to repent on the issue of same-sex blessings. So all of this comes out of a place of love. Uh, and I think it is possible to to remove the oh, I'll just call them what they are. Remove the heretics from within. You know, the Latvian Lutherans did it. It is possible. My question to you guys would be: By what mechanism is that possible? So I understand. I'm sure Matthew can uh, Matt can uh, correct me on this or, or clarify this. But I understand there's a minority of women bishops and women priests or there's a minority of diocese at least but a majority of the constituency um so i don't know quite practically or pragmatically how it would work but also if i could offer uh, a comment to everyone who's on this channel you know join forwarding faith um you know I, I i spoke at their event last year and the membership was incredibly low and i was disheartened by that um we had disagreements on the panel and it was fruitful it was great i learned a thing or two and i, I hope other people did too um but everyone there was sound everyone there was orthodox so we were able to have good faith discussions and disagreements and i think if everyone in this channel agrees with apostolic teaching and tradition they should be members of forwarding faith so that they can apply internal pressure on the acna 
But in regards to external pressure, I think you've got some strong allies. Uh, Bethel mentioned the continuing Anglicans. You know, the G3 are very strong, very orthodox. Um, if the G3 could be coerced to join up with the REC and the diocese of the ACNA that don't ordain women, I think that would apply incredible pressure and perhaps tip this uh, majority in, in your favour um, so that you can do away with the women priests. But, but then the, the final question to leave you with is, what does that look like for the women priests? Um, because there has to be a solution offered, or, or I suppose there has to be. Maybe there doesn't. Maybe there isn't an easy answer. Maybe they go and join the, t the Episcopal Church. Or maybe you open some, uh, some convents and uh, encourage religious lifestyle, or you promote them to lay readers. I, I suppose they want to be happy with that, but it, it is something worth thinking about. That's very, very helpful, Calvin. Thank you um, for that. And we'll, we'll let everyone kind of piggyback off of that. Clifford already had his hand up. I'm not sure if it was during the uh, Calvin's last comments there or something before, but Clifford, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to pick up on some things that Jesse and Constantine said, and that's just to speak briefly to the concept of dual integrities and the untenable nature of the whole idea. Um, you, we saw this in early American history with, with the, the states and the federal government, which is so, I might say, providential that we're talking about it right now as the national crisis at the border is bringing this same issue to bear uh, there. Uh, but the idea that uh, they call it sphere sovereignty, that the states are sovereign over their sphere and the federal government is sovereign over its sphere. And um, the problem, of course, is that who gets to decide the exception and where, uh, where when there's conflicts. And I think uh, something that, that Constantine said where he said they care more, which is which is to say with dual integrities, it means that there's a vacuum for that for the sovereign, like who is going to be deciding in effect who rules, who is the single integrity over the dual integrities. And into that vacuum goes those who care more about the issue. And so what we do, what we have in effect is the rule of the most willful. And uh, that's just a natural case. So as long as we uh, are, um, and we see this in the national situation too, where as long as the issue has been kicked down the road, uh, and the illegal immigration situation just gets worse and worse and worse. The answer to the res resolution will will happen just by necessity if we wait. And I think that's been the 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 same situation here, is that those who care more have been the loudest and have been pushing the envelope. And and what was great about what happened at the conference is that Calvin brought it out into the open and he exposed it. And that, um, as Bethel already pointed out, if it had been the other way around, um, there would never have been quite an uproar, which shows the hypocrisy and, and shows us all that we need to know about what's really going on behind the concept of dual integrities. And and so I don't know what it means for what what we should do, but I do know that it means that there is a vacuum and it has to be filled and it will be filled by the most willful. Right. No. And so I, I know I promised I wouldn't, I would stop talking so everyone else can, but that's a hundred percent true. I guarantee you that 80% of the conference agreed with what Calvin said, uh, like 80% of them did the, there was a very loud minority that, um, that held sway. And that's not just at this conference, that's within the church writ large and within ACNA. And we need to stop this. We need to like, 
as conservatives, we need to actually go in and say, no, actually, you need to sit down and we do not agree with you. Um, and that's that's a really unfortunate thing. But I mean, it's just the case is that they care more about this. And so they stand up and they're very loud and they were allowed to shout down a topic that they don't want to talk about because they care so much about it and we cow to them and we shouldn't like it's not i mean we just shouldn't thanks constantine and cliff um yeah and it, it occurs to me too i mean there should the demonstration of how much they care is that they were willing to you know do it to someone like calvin i mean there's there's many other people that would be much more much easier to silence and, uh, you know, wouldn't have gotten the invite in the first place, probably, because they they lack the platform. But then even knowing that everyone is going to hear about it and they're sort of going to have egg on their face, uh, they do it anyway, right? So, I mean, it, it shows the, the strength of their resolve uh, that, that maybe we don't have a, uh, a comparable sort of uh, determination in that way. But um, Daniel also uh, was was waiting to ask a question or make a comment. So, Daniel, go ahead. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay. I'm on a run, so if I sound out of breath, that's uh, that's why. But if I lose you, just go on to somebody else. The one thing I was going to say about Calvin's talk is I think the most important thing is the ontological thing related to liturgy. Because <laughs> there's a lot of work that's been done on this in, on a, in a book called Captive Mind by Miwosh, in which he talks about how the communists hijack the liturgies of the Catholics in order to gain um, acceptance in the culture at large and to co-opt the churches. And I think one of the things, while there's a lot of, you know, talk about the internal workings, part of the reason why, whether it's the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church, is it's the external pressures that are really giving these, let's say, heretical ideas a foothold in the church because what pastor is going to get a legal representative to help him if he gets sued for discriminating against women in this culture? You know, those are the kinds of things I think that are going through the minds of some of these local parishes is there's a lot of pressure on me to toe the line. And, you know, with LGBT stuff and stuff like that, you know, this feminist theory is just let's let's just tackle that later but that's why i think calvin was so important because he really got at the root of the issue which is if you can confuse the genders then you can confuse everything else and so the liturgy has to represent ontological reality and i think that's the most important part and so i just wanted to comment on that and say even even with zizan fleet who's a communist survivor who's lost her job to dei she has a whole chapter dedicated to new wave feminism in her book and the way that she came around to changing her mind on Mao was she said it was the historical societies that preserve the material reality of American freedom. So we just know, regardless of your background, that liturgy really matters. And so I just wanted to th say thanks to Calvin for standing up. I'm going to go back on my run. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, Jack, I know you wanted to hop in there as well, so go ahead. Yeah, well, particularly on the point of the, the different pressures. Um, I think Daniel is on his run. Is my Daniel, if you could just uh, kind of mute yourself it, it, it real quick. I mean, what, what should I be doing Thank right you. now? Um, uh, part of this it was addressed in my um, 
North American Anglican essay on why Anglicans shouldn't be building new colleges. But it's the, the, the weird makeup of the Anglican church today. And one of it is that it's more of a socioeconomic group. Um, and, and it doesn't have a clear ethnic center or a geographic center or a confessional center, which means the, the, when you don't have any of those major forces kind of keeping the, the center, uh, the center is going to end up becoming whatever the culture is of that socioeconomic group. And if the socioeconomic group's center is uh, is is more is like really really soft complementarian to kind of egalitarian, but be nice about it, that's where the Anglican Church is going to be. Which is why the Anglican Church is more of in this present moment a uh, thermometer than it is a, a a thermostat, so to speak. Um, and what needs to change then, and for England to change, is one is other denominations. Like, it's, it's sort of a, a, a um, a chicken and the egg problem where we need you know the pca needs a wheaton to shut up and to stop producing horrible graduates i'm sorry that's probably a little strong but then at the same time uh wheaton will keep doing that unless everyone else stops and doesn't stops giving people phds from christian colleges that do what they do and the similar problem with the anglican church is so long as the anglican church continues to have a level of soft egalitarianism this is going to continue to it's going to continue to put pressure on the PCA and the SBC, um, but the only way that the ACNA can potentially get rid of this problem is both have the other conservative denominations in their ecosystem uniformly reject egalitarianism, and then also not present themselves as the exit route for all the women leaving the PCA. And what's happened right now is we are we are the uh, we are Egypt to the PCA and the SBC's Palestine, so to speak. Um, and unless we put up something of a, of a barrier there, I think they're going to be coming here instead of too notably the EPC um, or or other more moderate mainline denominations. And so the ACNA, even though like we had a number of women leave our denomination for the North American Lutheran Church a, um, a number of years ago when the Anglican Ordination Report came out uh, seven, eight years ago by the College of Bishops. But they have more than since replenished their ranks. Um, in the decades since then, or the almost decades since then. And so what needs to happen is uh, have other denominations realize their responsibility to the ACNA. Because no, let's be honest, most of the ACNA is former PCA and Southern Baptists. Um, and then have uh, the ACNA be able to take a strong stance, knowing that the other denominations around them that are in the culture they're swimming in are going to have their backs. And as long as we have um, egalitarian strongholds in the EPC and the most liberal uh, presbytery in the PCA, some of them in the New York City, uh, Pennsylvania, Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia area, you're going to continue to have this problem where these dioceses are going to continue to produce more egalitarians. So anyway, again, uh, rant rant over, but that, that, I think those are all really, based on what Father Calvin was saying, uh, those, those are some of the major things that need to be addressed in the near future. Thank you for the the rant, Jack. Uh, Calvin has his hand up. Go ahead. Thank you. I don't want to derail the chat or anything. I just wanted to say it's getting late in the UK, so I'm going to shoot. But uh, before I do disappear, I want to say thank you, um, all of you, for your support, for your write-ups, your messages, and uh, joining me for a smoke of, of the pipe after the conference. Uh, and actually, I hope I helped your cause. Um, I hope I didn't cause any damage. I hope I got things moving for you. And God bless you all, and good night. Yeah. Thanks, Calvin. Good night, Cal. Thanks, Peace. Calvin. Um, even as Calvin's uh, dropping off, I know Jesse had something else to 
add there. And if anyone else wants to uh, provide parting thoughts, you can go ahead and then we'll, we'll move towards wrapping this up. So Jesse, go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So I think um, Jack had some good things to say there about sort of ACNAs or the Anglican conservative Anglican world's role um, within American sort of denominational landscape. And I think that's, uh, that's a really good insight. I mean, uh, there is a sense in which we have to stop pretending that we don't sort of have, owe some kind of duty to other churches um, for the kind of people we send their way or that they don't owe us like, hey, sorry, we sent so-and-so your way. And now, now this celebrity pastor on the left is uh, your problem, right? Um, I think that, that Christians of goodwill, um, Orthodox Christians, especially in America, just because we have our own sort of weird empire of religions that we have to deal with, need to be reaching out to one another and saying, hey, how are you dealing with this issue? This is what we're doing let us help you or you please help us. Um, we have to be thinking this way um, and, you know, give up this sort of, uh, you know, superiority feeling that everybody kind of should have a little bit of. But um, there's there's a lot of work to be done to reach out to other denominations. Um, you know, the North American Anglican as a journal has been in a journal that's dedicated to Anglican orthodoxy across jurisdictional boundaries. So we've got people who write it for us from the G3 continuing jurisdictions and the ACNA and the REC, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think that that kind of mindset of like, okay, let's think about what's true and who can agree with us on this level and sometimes we just have to, you know, kind of squint our eyes and, I think, um, imagine some of these divisions aren't there at least long enough to uh, agree on the right things and help each other out. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, to kind of plug North American Anglicanism as well. I, I, I wrote an article for them a while ago that actually irritated my parish um, about Roe v. Wade. And I think, Jesse, you were uh, you, you edited that. Um, article. Um, but I, I grew up Presbyterian. So I grew up in the PCA. And I think it's really, really important that we kind of, we join forces on some of these things, even if we have like, kind of like institutional or ecclesiastical differences. I'm Anglican now, um, or I'm in an Anglican church now. We'll see whether or not that stays because uh, my my church actually just called me in for a meeting with the rector in question, um, uh, because they they know that I don't agree with this decision regarding Kyle, um, and I, I was part of putting on the Miriam conference, but I just wanted to like plug um, North American Anglicanism as a as a website for people to read and to publish and those kind of things because it was a really good experience, and I think that like we need to stick together on these things. So I just wanted to say that. Thanks, brother. Thanks, guys. Um, we also had James Gibson, I'm sorry, to uh, is on as well. Did you have something, James, you wanted to add? Uh, yeah, I was trying to figure out figure out how to get my hand raised, but I, I couldn't <laughs> figure that. Um, 
I, I don't know. We seem to have moved on past the dual integrities um, discussion, but let me, well, let me preface first. I'll I'm in the Anglican Diocese of South Carolina too. So I'm under Bishop Chip and I'm kind of right in the ground zero over all this stuff right now too. Uh, but you talk about the dual integrities on the provincial level is one thing, but where it really is unsustainable is at the diocesan level, especially when you're in a diocese where you have ordained women, but the majority, even of the, of the clergy and most u- usually the laity, are opposed to it, but really feel constrained in what we say uh, concerning it, uh, precisely because of, as we just seen, what happened to the Calvin at the conference last week. Uh, we, we we feel very constrained about saying anything about it, particularly in mixed company. Uh, and that really is where and, and then just to get, you know, to say to have the uh, the powers that be assure you, well, we, we assure you that we that you can hold your view with integrity. But um, nevertheless, we tend to we we still tend to feel like we have to, to hold it in silence because, uh, uh, you know, because there's just so, uh, so much overwhelming. Uh, like you say, the other voices are so much louder, and they seem to be allowed to flourish more than than ours do. Yeah, I mean, uh, as I as I dropped in the chat before we were getting on, it's it's you know, dual integrity really just means conservatives shut up and progressives say what you want. That's what that means. Like it, it's it's a complete farce, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, you know that, and in fact, as as we some of us like to joke when you are. Use any, use any word processor, processor, and you write in the term dual integrities, your spell checker is going to ding you because there is no such word as integrity. Yeah, exactly. uh, integrity, by its very nature, implies singularity. Thank you, James and uh, Constantine. And we'll, we'll just kind of go around the rest of the uh, panel. Anyone who hasn't spoken up in the past uh, several minutes as we close out here. I'd like to say, uh, pick up on something that Calvin said before he uh, signed off about women who have um, been uh, ordained for a while. What you know, what what would what would be the the plan uh, if if we in fact we win uh, win this? And you know, there there are women who were ordained in the Episcopal Church, and at that time in the, in the late 90s early 2000s that was the easiest thing in the world to do if you're a woman if you just had expressed any interest in god they would push you forward into the the commission on ministries and you would you would be ordained fast so a lot of these women i i I think didn't didn't think through the didn't even think through it very carefully um and they they had good instincts with regard to the sexuality thing and they opposed it and then they found themselves in the acna and um i don't I, I think uh, some of them are kind of the raging feminists who are trying to overturn everything, but some of them are just, they just, they just found themselves where they are. And I think for those women, there needs to be some, uh, a, a good plan um, and some compassion who they, I don't think they, I don't think a lot of them are, are trying to destroy anything. Um, I think some of them are, but not all. So I just want to say that. Thank you. And, and thanks again for writing the piece for us. Everyone should go, Check it out at AmericanReformer.org. Um, Bethel, do you have anything to to add as we're closing out? I'm going to take that as a no. Wait, sorry, sorry, oh, sorry. Yeah, I was okay. I was uh, going off somewhere else. Um, yeah, I I 
think this has been great. Really appreciate everybody's uh, contributions here. I, you know, I, I was hoping to join um, an ACNA church plant here in Lansing, and it, it just didn't get off the ground for whatever reason. And so I'm actually um, attending a little Presbyterian church at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think about this just in terms of my my future as a churchgoer, because my um, my little ACC parish that I grew up in and attended my whole life sadly uh, closed last year. So I felt a little bit um, denominationally homeless, I guess, you know, just kind of like drifting, trying to trying to figure out um, where I'm going to join because I have like all these all these different uh, pieces of the church in me. But I still feel when I ask myself, like, who I who I am, what I am, I, I always think, well, I'm an Anglican. I always will be. Um, so, yeah, I just I wonder to myself what that will what that will look like. And um, and I hope that I can find my place ultimately. And uh, Daniel, I see you got your hand up. You want to add a parting thought? At the end, uh... OK. Um, Jack or Jesse, anything to add before we go? Thanks for hosting. Um, well, yeah, we'll go Jack. To... Jack, go first. Oh, no, I just said thanks for hosting. This is great. Oh, cool. Okay, Jesse. I just wanted to piggyback on uh, Matt's comments that I, I think that one thing from Calvin's talk that he mentioned was that women who were going to be persuaded to become priests in the Church of England tended to be of this sort of hard left persuasion. And I don't think that's the same situation in the ACNA. Um, women in the ACNA are here because they don't want to be, and I mean women priests, because they don't want to be in tech. So there's something there, you know, Um I'm not saying it's theologically coherent, but I think that it does deserve a sort of special consideration. This is not necessarily a hard left, um, you know, third wave fe feminist revisionist. Um, it's a different kind of person who probably is pretty pious um, in many ways. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree that, you know, having pathways for such people to um, participate in the church and the life of the church is uh, essential. Okay, very good. Um, I don't see any other hands up, so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, thanks, everybody, for participating in this. Thanks to Belated, thanks to Calvin for joining in. Uh, this this has been recorded, so we'll have it eventually up as a, as a podcast episode, too, that can be shared. Um, thanks everybody for listening in. We try to do these spaces regularly and often. Um, so continue to follow us for you know, more topics like this that we try to engage um, and bring in interesting people to talk about them. Um, so until next time, God bless. Have a good one. You can find American Reformer on the internet at www.americanreformer.org or on x.com, formerly Twitter, at amreformer. Don't forget to like, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Please consider supporting us today by making a tax-deductible donation through our secure online donation portal at americanreformer.org. That's americanreformer.org.